Cade Mila Falta. Welcome to the Letter from Ireland show, where we travel in the footsteps of your Irish ancestors, visiting their homelands and telling their stories as they put down roots in so many places around the world. Welcome, fall to everybody, to the Letter from Ireland podcast. And today's episode is called Time for the Irish Census. Now, Karina, why is it called Time for the Irish Census? Well, as we record, we're coming up to April 3rd, 2022, and that is the night that the census is going to be taken in Ireland again. Now, census, census, schmensis. I think uh, we have a very interesting show lined up, at least interesting for us, and a nice few pieces of music as well. Um, but we're going to chat about quite a few things, Green, aren't we? Yes, because um, I'd like to know a little bit more about the census, Mike, and uh, I believe we're going to have a look at the census that my um, ancestors filled in a while ago uh, with some interesting results, so I'm looking forward to exploring that later in the show. And Mike, you always have a wonderful, interesting selection of music as well, so I'm looking forward to being entertained thoroughly. (laughs) Informed and entertained, no pressure then. Um, yeah, you know, I think you hit a nail on the head there as well, Karina. In other words, looking uh, to a census that your ancestors filled out a while ago. And I think that's how what brought us all together, really, isn't it? In terms of genealogy, it's one of the most useful parts of, I suppose, kind of the records out there, determining just where our ancestors were in a particular date and time and who was in the household and maybe even the neighbourhood around them. And that was one of the reasons, I guess, Mike, why they had census in the first place, do you think? Uh, for genealogists, is it? No, so they could <laughs> account for people. Yeah, well, I, absolutely. I remember yeah, yeah, long yeah. ago when I was in school learning the story of, you know, in the Bible about the census that was taken by the Romans and why Jesus was born in Bethlehem. That's right. So that's, that's, right, yeah, that's the first yeah. census that comes to mind for me. Isn't it amazing when you think it, all right? I mean, I suppose it's, as long ago as there's been kind of an organized society, um, there's probably been an ambition to put a kind of account on the head of population under the direct control of the king or whoever of the day. And I suppose that's always been the way as well, Karina. I, as far as I know, census, as you say, there the mentions in the Bible, but it was very much, uh, I suppose, the Romans that made it kind of popular in the first place. I think the Babylonians before that, and certainly the uh, Chinese after and before that, were very into uh, counting heads of population, uh, probably for kind of figuring out who was avoiding paying taxes and where and so on. But they very quickly figured out that the best way to do a head count, so to speak, was to pretty much kind of figure out where everybody was at a point in time in a particular house and actually do a count on the people and the facts around those people at that moment in time in that house. And of course, you got that count for a particular year. But if you then did it every five years, you start to see very particular trends emerging in terms of population and maybe kind of uh, in more modern times, kind of social trends and so on. And I see in the green room, Mike, we mainly work from for the censuses for 1901. I see the genealogists mentioned those quite a bit in Ireland and the 1911 census. These, yeah. these seem to be the ones that figure a lot for people. Why is it so far back? Well, you know, we'll talk a little bit later there, Karina, as you say, we actually have the form in front of us there with cars filling out uh, the current census for 2022, which is, by the way, a year late given that COVID was actually happening last year. Um, But there's a privacy, a confidentiality paragraph in the front, which says that the information won't be actually given out 
for another 100 years or so on a personal level. So that kind of tells us why 1911 at this point in time might have been the last census that we would have seen, basically because the one after that I think was 1926 in Ireland. So that hasn't been released. It's not 100 years uh, later yet. However, before that, Karina, there was, I think in Ireland, uh, we got our act together around 1821 for the first census. Um, And so there's one held every 10 years after that, and it got more and more sophisticated. But your question there was, well, you know, why are we just accessing the 1901 and 1911 census? Mm -hmm. And it's because they're the only total census that currently exists and are accessible at the same time. So going back to the earlier census, uh, 21, 31, 41, I think maybe 51, um, they actually happened to have been in the wrong place at the wrong time when the uh, Public Records Office was actually set in fire in 1922 and they were actually lost at the time. Um, on top of that then, other census as well, They once the information started to get more complex, they decided that, well, some nosy parkers might be making their way into looking at this stuff, maybe we should destroy uh, the actual original forms that were actually filled in. And they did that, I think for the 1851 and 61 census, I might be wrong there, uh, without actually kind of capturing the information for oh. later generations in the first place. Oh, that was an opportunity oh, yeah. lost, wasn't it, And for then everybody? I think there's two more census uh, unaccounted for in that roll call there. And I think they were actually pulped, if I remember rightly, um, due to sh- shortage of paper during the First World War. So as a result, long story short, we end up with just fragments of the census from 1821 to uh, 1891, and then from 1901 and 1911, we have the full and free, it might I might say, online access to the census. Oh, that's a very comprehensive answer there. Thank you, Mike, for that. Really. So the answer is yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now I know why we focus on the 1901 and 1911 census so often in the green room with our genealogists. Yeah. Now, Karina, I know that um, we're going to uh, we're going to structure this particular. Um, the rest of the episode, I should say. Uh, we're going to have a piece of music in a few minutes, and then you're going to read a letter, which uh, I think really, really shows up the whole social and human aspect of the census in the run-up to 1911, and why people were asked a very interesting question in advance of that census, and you're going to read that out in a few moments. And then we're going to actually have another piece of music after that, and then we're actually going to have a look at the current census, And I think we're going to look at our household and what we're going to to fill out here. We're also going to flash back to 120 years ago to the house that you were born in. And not 120 years ago, but uh, and have a look at just what was filled out at that time. Have a look in the window and see what they were writing on the census form on that night. There you go. So time for our first piece of music. Yes, please.
There appears to be so many storms, fires, floods and freezes of note each year that sometimes it's hard to remember them all. However, every now and again, a weather event of such magnitude occurs that it's burned into everyone's memory. And this is especially true in Ireland, where we're blessed with normally temperate and benign weather. Such a weather event is the subject of our letter today. Here's some money if you tell me your age. Nowadays, we are aware of our age from about the time we can speak. We have birth certificates, birthday parties, driving licenses, identity cards and pensions to remind us of our age, whether we appreciate them or not. As family history researchers, it's no wonder we get frustrated as the age of an ancestor often seems to fluctuate as they advance through life. The truth was, one's age and date of birth were not important to people who started work from an early age. Instead, they celebrated the feast days of the saints and noted the effects of the seasons on their small holdings and animals. There was no real requirement to remember your own age. However, all this changed in 1864. In 1864, civil records were introduced in Ireland and from that point on, some official was in a position to check your date of birth, marriage or death. But whole generations of people were born before 1864 and they had no accurate idea of their own age. This had a big impact when the old age pension was introduced in 1909. Maybe you're familiar with the Irish censuses of 1901 and 1911. There are two most recent and most intact records of people and place. They are used extensively by amateur genealogists as they attempt to map the dates and movements of their ancestors in Ireland. You will often notice the recorded age of an ancestor jumping more than the 10-year gap between 1901 and 1911. For example, your ancestor might appear as 55 years of age in 1901, but reappear as a 71-year-old in 1911. Have you ever noticed this on the census records? Maybe you have a few examples in your own family. The old age pension was introduced for most people over the age of 70 in January 1909. Suddenly people were motivated to age themselves either correctly or make themselves older by a few years in order to qualify for the pension. So this presented the authorities of the day with a problem. These potential pensioners were born at a time before civil records came into existence in 1864. Who knew what age they were and how could they find out? The answer was to ask them some simple questions. And one of those questions was, do you remember the night of the big wind? The night of the big wind. On the evening of January 6th, 1839, a hurricane blew over Ireland 
As I mentioned earlier, we're not used to extreme weather events in Ireland, and this was a big one. Over the course of the night, many families lost the simple sod and thatched off their roofs, also losing the savings often kept in the roof for safekeeping. Animal feed and seed were blown to the four corners and destroyed. Trees and ruined castles that had stood for hundreds of years were levelled in mere hours. The sound of the wind must have been frightening throughout the dark night. This was also an unexpected storm and was attributed to dark and supernatural forces. As daylight returned the next morning and people stood outside their houses, many of the familiar landmarks around them had shifted or even disappeared. Surely this was the hand of God or the devil. People were nervous that that wind might return in the days and months afterwards. The storm also had a large social impact. Whole communities had lost their housing, savings, animals and more. But miraculously, there was little loss of life. Houses were rebuilt in more sheltered areas of the land as people waited for the inevitable return of the Night of the Big Wind, or as we say in Irish, Iha Naguiha Mura. But Iha Naguiha Mura, or the Night of the Big Wind, never returned with the same force. However, it did enter into the folklore of the Irish as they remembered the terror of the night and the hardship that followed through song and story. And so in 1909, as people were tested for eligibility for the old age pension, one of the questions asked was, do you remember the night of the big wind? A positive answer indicating that you were more than 70 years of age and so eligible for the pension. Over 260,000 pensions were applied for in the first three months of 1909. By the time the 1911 census had come about, many of our ancestors had adjusted their ages upwards to become more pension friendly. Nowadays, when we have a night of the big wind here in Ireland, we have fair warnings, insurance and government relief, all supports that our ancestors lacked back in 1839. If you are suffering from extreme weather events in your part of the world at the moment, We do hope that this Irish blessing will offer some small consolation. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise and a blessing in each trial. For every problem life sends a faithful friend to share, for every sigh a sweet song and an answer for each prayer. The October winds lament around the castle of Dromore. Yet peace is in her lofty halls, my loving treasure store. The autumn leaves may droop. And die, a bud of spring are you, sing hush by loo.
the night of the big wind wasn't that some I don't know it's, it's kind of very interesting how to realise that that's the sort of thing Korean that actually stick in people's minds enough that it actually would kind of relay all the way into the future in their lives to try to establish their age and maybe be kind of before that time they didn't have much use for actually knowing their age but they knew they were around around that time I think that was a very clever clerk, whoever he was, that came up with that question. Yeah. <laughs> a really clever question. Of its time. Absolutely of its time. Now, I know we're actually going to, you, you, you've just filled out the actual current census for yourself. But just before we go into that, I'd like to take you back a little bit in time, Karina, if you don't mind. It's true to say, please tell me if I've got any of these wrong, mm-hmm. that you, your father, and uh, maybe not so much your grandmother, were all brought up in the same place. It was a little shop, a house over shop, in a place called Ovens in County Cork. Yeah, That's true. Yeah. Now, what I've managed to dig up here in front of me is the actual census return for 1911 for that particular shop, that house. So at that time, my great-granduncle, James Long, would have been living in the house with his wife. Bang on. So there was only the two of them. They were married. And uh, to the best of your knowledge, they had no children at that point. And in fact, that was the reason why their niece took over the shop eventually and led to your side of the family. Who was my grandmother. There That's you right. go. There you go. Now, it's, it's kind of interesting because, um, you know, I'm leafing through it here, the return itself, because in 1911, it's interesting, folks, in that they actually held on uh, for posterity to the handwritten return by the head of the household or whoever at the time, which is really no longer the case. In fact, they get destroyed and you just see kind of the details enumerated up into kind of a summary nowadays, Corinne. But uh, you, I'm looking here and I can actually see the handwriting 
And remember, we're talking about 1911. At that stage, the actual national school system was well in place for 30 or 50 years at least. So most people can actually certainly kind of read and write at that point. And uh, we have the handwriting of your granduncle, your great-granduncle, James Long here. And it's a relatively short form that they were filling in as a form A, it's called, compared with the uh, 26 pages you're looking at currently for the census this year. And as we look around, uh, we see the name and surname. So as you say, we have a James Long and a Margaret Long. And their relation to each other, well, he's head of family marked as, and she's marked as wife. Their religion, it's interesting, it's down as Roman Catholic. And they started to get very discerning here, Karina. In other words, looking for more and more detail. So they give instructions like, you know, don't just say Protestant if you're Protestant, give the exact church and so on and so forth. It goes on to say they can both read and write, so we can ascertain that, in fact, is the handwriting of your James Long. And then we come to their age at the last birthday and sex. Now, this kind of is interesting because, remember, we talked about the night of the big wind and establishing your age between, you know, the difference between 1901 and 1911 um, for pension purposes. Now, you did a bit of research and tell me, what was the actual age that James Long gave in the 1901 census, 10 years earlier? So 10 years earlier, James Long was 56 years of age. 56. And his wife, Margaret, was? was 40. 40. Okay. Well, I have news for you because this man has aged beyond his time <laughs> in keeping with the, with, with the needs of the moment. And in fact, in the 1911 census, he is 71. So in 10 years... He, uh, he's gone you do from the 66 math. up. He should have been 66, but he put down 71. And of course, that ties oh, in with... Oh. <laughs> oh, imagine that. That ties in with our letter. He was obviously qualifying for a pension. So he was as cute as anyone else. So he wasn't 66. He suddenly became 71. Oh, my gosh. A shopkeeper and cute at it. <laughs> his wife, Margaret, uh, was 40 in 1901, but in uh, 1911, she was 52. And, of course, she had no advantage in putting it any higher at that point. Uh, but suddenly it was almost 20 years between them, which probably kind of put her in a good light, so to speak, yeah. and got him his pension. Well, I'm sure he wasn't the only one that did that now <laughs> on the night, but there you go. Oh, dear. I wonder what is Actually, I must check it up because I do know what his real age is because we actually found um, what I believe is a baptismal record. Yeah. But I must double check on that again. Yeah. So working along the rest of the entries there, we see that his uh, rank and occupation profession is down as being shopkeeper for both of them, actually. And, you know, that's another interesting thing, because in the instructions given uh, alongside the uh, form itself is, if you say your profession, please be more specific. And it's a bit of an eye-opener because it gives lots and lots of professions that just don't exist today. So, for example, don't just say weaver. Say if you're a linen weaver or a wool weaver or a this weaver or a that weaver. You know, if you actually are a cooper, what kind of a cooper are you? What do you work on? If you're in manufacturing and so on, so on, so on. So it's a real insight into the sociology of the day, you know, and just you know, what people were up to, what the jobs and professions were. But again, we have shopkeeper there. So as far as he's concerned and she's concerned, they're making the money and that's enough. They're both shopkeepers. And I, I interestingly note there that they speak Irish and English and Irish being written first and then English. Well, you know, it's kind of interesting that because it was, um, you know, it does say write the word Irish uh, in this column opposite the name of each person or Irish and English. So it does say do that specifically rather than just English and Irish, you know. 
But I found myself as well answering that question um, in our current census and thinking very carefully before I wrote it down. And, you know, if I could, if I could say the cupola focal two words only, I would have written Irish and English down there. Because even back, especially back in 1911, it was a point of pride. And uh, identity. Yeah. Yes. Which may not have been 50 or 60 years before that. But as you say, yeah, they're both Irish and English. Um, they are both born in County Cork, which is kind of interesting. Uh, it says, if in Ireland's state, in what county or city of elsewhere state the name of the country? But the fact is, this is often kind of treasure trove for us, Crane, when we look back at the census, because you can often see that so many migrated counties, for example, in Ireland from one to the next. But often with Cork, it's people in Cork. We're born in Cork. It's a large county and, you know, there's good reasons for people to stay there, I guess. And uh, finally, uh, it says about their children as well. Um, for each married woman in the schedule, the number of completed year for the marriages. So it says 29 but it's kind of scribbled out a little bit, and it says total children born alive, none. Yeah. Yes. So, again, that was the reason why your aunt, your grandmother rather, their niece, ended up actually inheriting the shop and switching over to your own line. At a very young age, actually. Yes, you came out to work in ovens from Cork City and went on to run the shop then from yeah. there. So that's the 19, uh, 1911 uh, entry, and I think we'll put that in the show notes as well, a link to that uh, so people can see it for themselves. So if you go to letterfromireland.com forward slash 713, that's letterfromireland.com forward slash 713, you'll see a link to that particular entry. Now, Karina, I believe that you've been filling out. The well, I've just started to fill up the census, uh, my part, for this 2020 census. And I'm um, just looking at the difference, Mike, between 1911 and 2020. Of course, it should have been last year, 2021, but um, uh, sorry, 2022, the census 2022 should have been 2021. But of course, we all know we had a pandemic in the world at that time with COVID. So the difference being, I'm holding a booklet in my hand here, Mike, as opposed to a one-pager with a few lines, and how our society has changed because they have so many different um, questions now, a lot of detail about your health and, of course, how you travel to work and um, difficulties and is English your first language or Irish and so on. I suppose reflecting how our country has changed so much and we have many different languages and many different people of different colours here now living in Ireland, that's different. But one of the really interesting things about this census that's going to be read in a hundred years hence is... Publicly, yeah. Yes, is there's a little time capsule box at the end here of the census. Oh, isn't that a nice one? Because, you know, I did ask you, basically, if you were to kind of reach back in time and have a chat with your granduncle and your grand aunt. And if you would like to, if they were to fill out a time capsule, what would you like them to kind of fill into those couple of paragraphs? And it was very, it was lovely to hear the answer you gave actually. Yes, because I would just like to hear if they wrote what an ordinary day in their life was like. Um, how What they wore when they got up, what they did, what they ate. And, you know, I'm sure if they're working in the shop, there was lots of interesting people came and went, how they entertained themselves in the evening. Just a little time capsule telling me their day would be fantastic because I think we would hear their voices come through the ages. And I hope that we can pass that on when our great-great-grandchildren uh, 
read our census report, Mike. So you're going to do that yourself, are you? Yes, in 100 years' oh, time. It. There's a can, gift. They can read what we get up to podcast <laughs> in the morning. <laughs> Here we are explaining things from 100 years and 20 years ago and, and thinking about 100 years hence. Absolutely. So oh, my gosh. That's yeah. the treasures that are to be found in the census. Oh, okay. I think it's time for another piece of music. The violets were scenting the woods, Maggie, displaying their charms to the breeze. When I first said I loved only you, Maggie. Chestnut blooms gleamed through the glade 
So, Karina, that's it. The coming near the end of our show now on the Irish census, both the one in this case uh, from 1911 and that unusual question that was asked in advance of that particular census, which your uncle and aunt zoned into very, very quickly. And prove the point. And prove the point. Thank you very much <laughs> to James getting, and Margaret. It's worth getting older sometimes to yeah. qualify for a pension. But it's also very interesting, Karina, isn't it, uh, being at the other end of the telescope, so to speak, and filling in that particular current census, because you really do put yourself into the shoes of what our ancestors must have felt at the time and how they must have felt you know, you know, thinking, well, oh, yeah, who's around in the night? Will I bother putting them in? Or, you know, thinking whatever they get away with or what they wouldn't, see how compliant they were, seeing how accurate they were. And, uh, you know, it's it's as you start to look at our own senses, you start to realize just how they might have felt at the time with regards giving away all their business, as we call it. And that's the thing for Irish people. They don't like to give away their business. <laughs> So, folks, as I said, I'll put a couple of links there um, to the census and our the example we gave as well for Karina's grand-uncle and grand-aunt in the show notes at letterfromireland.com forward slash 713. And I think as well as that, just remember that the Irish census is actually fully available online. You can actually go down and see the handwritten notes by the head of the household inside the household returns. And I'll put a link to those again in the show notes there. But I think the Irish government has done a great job on making those available for free and easily read and easily searched. So great to see that. So, Queenie, have you any final words? I think the census is a treasure trove to explore, Mike, and we'll be making some treasure on April the 3rd. We ourselves will be filling in our own census form here in Ireland. We can count on it. Absolutely. And thanks for having me on the show, Mike. Oh, you're very welcome. Half the work and all that. Slán gafól, everybody. Slán, everybody. Speak next week. If you've enjoyed today's Letter from Ireland show, we'd like to invite you to check out our special membership area, The Green Room. You hear us mention it a lot during the show. And you can find full details of The Green Room at letterfromireland.com forward slash green room. Our Green Room is the essential resource for anybody at any stage in researching their Irish heritage because it's where we delve into all the good stuff to help you break down those brick walls and really connect the pieces in your Irish ancestry puzzle. In the green room, you get access to online genealogists, extensive research tools, quick win training, as well as member-only access to johngrenham.com and a very supportive, active community to help you along the way with feedback and advice. The Green Room is the perfect place to be for anybody starting or continuing their Irish ancestry search. So why don't you come and join us there at a letterfromireland.com forward slash green room. That's it for me, but I'll be back next time with another installment of the Letter from Ireland show. And I really look forward to chatting to you then. Slán gafól, Karina. <laughs>